Welcome everyone. When you hear all this unpleasant news about war violence and uh, injustice, it's very easy to become disillusioned with uh, humanity. Sometimes we may even have this uh, exhausting feeling that there's not so much uh, goodness in this uh, human world. And yet, and there's lots of uh, wonderful things happening every day, every hour, in this human world, if we pay attention to them. Because there is this fundamental goodness in every human being, regardless of who they are. Either they are Buddhist uh, spiritual seeker, or average Joe and this fundamental goodness is uh, often being veiled we call this fundamental goodness in each of us the Tathankatangarbha or the Buddha nature. Very famous uh, Mahayana Buddhist thinker, Jaya Asanga, said that and there are true undeniable evidences proving that there is this fundamental goodness, the Buddha nature in all of us. These evidences are our desire to be free from suffering and to become enlightened. Also, there is this uh, idea in my tradition, in Nyingma tradition, that uh, now and then we'll have this uh, very powerful epiphany. The Riksapa means awakening of the Buddha nature in this context uh, Rik means the Buddha nature, Sattva means to awaken 
we say that sometimes uh, incidences can play very important role for rekindling that awakening that fundamental goodness in all of us sometimes by hearing a profound verse or meeting with remarkable person or sometimes through very powerful as well as traumatizing event, loss, illness, and near-death experiences. I have a Dharma friend who comes to my teaching quite often one time I asked her, how did you find this path? She told me that uh, one time she met with somebody at the office who was wearing mala prayer beads. She asked that person what that object is. This person told her that object is called mala, it's a prayer beads, and many Buddhists use that to recite mantras. And she became extremely curious about Buddhism. She asked that person, where can I learn Buddhist path? This person recommended her uh, Buddhist teacher. Before she knew, she was completely in love with the Buddhist path. This is quite amazing story. Just small instance, like running into somebody who is wearing mala prayer beads can change your life forever. As I stated, sometimes very ordinary events and circumstances can change your life forever. They can play as a catalyst to awakening your Buddha nature. Sometimes we need powerful doors. Sometimes we need uh, very powerful doors of uh, challenge, tribulations crisis such as lost of our loved ones, meeting with the unfavorable events to awaken our Buddha nature. 
And once the Buddha nature is awakened, and then there is this uh, longing, very powerful longing, takes place in each of us. And that longing is so powerful, sometimes it can even ride over our ordinary longings, ordinary desires. Desire for security, comfort, relationships, material success. That longing can take over your heart entirely. And all you want is an end to be on the path to become free. This is why many people become renunciate. They leave their life behind, become bhikshus, bhikshinis, and dedicate entire their life in order to pursue the inner freedom because their longing for the spiritual path is sometimes very more powerful than their ordinary longing. It does not mean they don't have ordinary longings. Every human being has ordinary longing. But sometimes the spiritual longing can be even more overwhelming. It is said that uh, when you are struck by that uh, longing, and naturally you go on the pilgrimage. This is what they did in old days. Once you're completely seized by that uh, spiritual longing, the first thing you do is literally to be on the pilgrimage and to leave everything behind. Leave your job, your career, your friends as well as your enemy, your loved ones, your glory, your personal history. So you can distinguish yourself from the world of a familiar and you can enter into this journey and that lead you to discovery of yourself also a journey on which that you can be empowered initiated by meeting series of uh, trials and the tribulations I would like to share an inspiring a story about Mahasita, as enlightened master from my own lineage. By the way, I was trained in this lineage in Tibetan Buddhism, known as Nyangmapa, which is considered the oldest lineage within Tibetan tradition. His name was a Rinpoche in his biography it is said that he was a, a hunter who 
never had any interest in the path of uh, awakening, the enlightenment. Uh, one day he was uh, uh, wandering around the mountains and saw a fox. He picked up his uh, rifle and shot that fox. She ran away and he followed the blood of that wounded animal. And finally he saw that the wounded animal was dying in pain on the rock. He was quite excited to catch this wounded animal. In Tibet, sometimes we use the skin of foxes to make fancy hats. He raised up his rifle and he was ready to smash the head of this wounded animal. In that moment, out of nowhere, this very powerful compassion and the sympathy literally struck his heart and he smashed the rifle instead that wounded animal. And it is said that was uh, the first moment he experienced the awakening of his Buddha nature. Pretty much next day, he packed up everything and left all his love behind and started walking on a pilgrimage. He traveled all the way from eastern Tibet to central Tibet, which requires many days walking. And finally he met with another extraordinary Mahasiddha, Rinzinjing Melangpa, accepted him as his uh, spiritual master. In the end, this hunter became known as one of the most celebrated masters in my lineage the Dotrupchenrimbuchi. So usually when that awakening happens in each of us, we naturally go on pilgrimage. When I looked around tonight, I feel that you are all walking on this very powerful journey, but we are on the pilgrimage. We are on the pilgrimage, literally, and also, of course, metaphorically. We left our family behind. We left uh, our ordinary habits, our comfort, our beloved pillow <laughs> to leave our beloved pillow is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> Perhaps you know sometimes people have been using the same pillow for ten years or maybe even longer. And we left a lot of things behind, all the things that uh, give us a sense of uh, comfort, security as with us, a psychological solace. And I believe that uh, 
to a certain extent, such awakening was already happening in everybody who is sitting in this room right now. Otherwise, I cannot come up with any good reason why we are here. There are no famous uh, rock and roll singers, <laughs> otherwise you will be here. And this is not a Buddhist convention. If this is a Buddhist convention, then I totally understand why lots of people want to come. We have all these Buddhist conventions in Asia where hundreds, thousands of people come together, and they do usually the Buddhist thing. It's a great place to find your romantic mat. <laughs> Those Buddhist convention that happens in Asia, where thousands and thousands of people come together. And they eat Buddhist food, they speak Buddhist language so they can communicate with each other. And they can all feel that how lucky they are that they are chosen people. So obviously, this is not a Buddhist convention. <laughs> To me, this is a fellowship of a very intelligent, bright, and courageous, open-hearted individuals coming together. We are all moved by this profound longing. This awakening has already happened in all of us. Even though you may not feel that it's true inside you, I didn't have the chance to go around and to ask why you are here. Last night I read this uh, confidential file, at least uh, six or seven of you. I went through the file with a great curiosity, something I don't do usually. I really want to know, not so much about your spiritual background, but what motivated you to come here. I was very curious about it. Because in many ways, I also feel that I'm just entering into this uh, fellowship. I feel I'm meeting with uh, all these new arrivals from different directions. And there's a sense of a not knowing who you are. I know a few of you for quite a long time. So I was very curious about uh, your longings, your men desire why you are here and what you want to learn. After reading the, those personal profiles, I was quite inspired. I felt I'm on the right journey and I'm hanging out with the right people. And finally I feel that I have a message 
that I want to share with all of you. And I felt that you want this message. Also, at the group meeting this morning, one of you asked me, or could be this afternoon, this afternoon, one of you asked me, what did you learn after all these years meditation practice? It was quite a powerful question. So far, nobody asked me that question. It was a very brave question which I liked very much. I didn't have immediate answer, but it was a very powerful question for me. It made me to pause, and it forced me to reflect on my own personal spiritual journey, I've been on this Buddhist path since I was very young and never gave this path. Not only that, my affinity with this path, the Buddhist path, keeps growing. It's growing into a whole new dimension. And finally, I told everybody that what I really learned from my years walking on the Buddhist path is that nobody can save you in the end. There won't be a holy guru or divine being or avatar who can save you. And this is also very much spoken by Buddha himself too. Remember when Buddha was ready to go away from this world? His disciples were extremely worried, frightened, and by thinking that there's no more a guide on their path. Buddha's reply was very simple. He said, be lamp unto yourself. I also told them that in the end, the whole point of being on the spiritual path is to really be honest to yourself. Which I mean to look inside and to acquire self-knowledge. It's a this process of this ongoing process, lifelong process. It's not just a, a day-long process, a week-long process, or even three-year-long process, but a lifelong process, a process of a constant determining our attention inward, and to really find out our own limitations which is another form of pilgrimage. So here, the pilgrimage is happening in two levels. 
it's happening externally because we left everything behind. We are literally on the pilgrimage right now. Even though we are not walking miles, miles every day with a walking stick in our backpack, but we are on the pilgrimage. And also inside we are on the pilgrimage because we are exploring this interior world. The world of a heart, mind, and a consciousness. Also, we are walking through many uncharted territories within ourselves, where we meet with the darkness, our own shadow, our own limitations. And, and also, we are actually finally meeting with this force, the force of Klesha. Klesha is a Sanskrit word. And the best way to translate Klesha is neurosis. It's quite direct transition. And we all have a neurosis. When we truly look inside, we have a pride, anger, hatred, fear, insecurity, and resistance. We are dealing with many of them. During the group meeting, many of you are so courageous that you share your own challenges. And many of you are shared your own resistance. Also, and this is a process of purification. Aaron was talking about uh, the purification today. The karmic purification is very big than in Eastern countries, in India as well as in Tibet. Many people practice spiritual observances in the name of a karmic purification. That's why people go to River Ganj and to bathe themselves in the holy water. This is why people go to mountain Kailasha and do circumambulations. This is why many people practice fasting, austerity, reciting mantras. People do all this beautiful as well as sometimes very challenging esoteric disciplines in order to bring about the karmic purification. The karmic purification is a process of letting go of our identification with our neurosis. 
So we don't really have to go to India to jump into River Ganji. We don't have to go to Tibet to to circumambulation around mountain Kalasha. And we don't have to practice a home other fire puja to purify ourselves. All we need is to look inside and to acknowledge our own darkness, our own neurosis. But not with judgment, but with all embracing compassionate acceptance. This is not about going inside and judging ourselves, judging ourselves for hatred, for fear, and for neurosis. It is said that there are true means of uh, purification. The first one is uh, abandoning. The second one is uh, purification. The method of abandoning is all about uh, abandoning, rejecting your kleshas, your neurosis, like rejecting your anger, rejecting your fear. The truth is that we may not be able to reject our anger. We cannot reject our fear. We cannot reject our desires. You can try to transcend and reject them, but you will learn sooner or later that the approach of abandoning would not work. The second approach as a means of a karmic purification is this approach of non-rejecting, all-embracing. This process of a purification begins with this philosophy and to we view all our neuroses, all our creations as a sacred fertilizer, not as a unwholesome, not as a impure, but sacred fertilizer. I hope this is making sense. So perhaps uh, you had already first-hand encountering with your own kleshas while you are here. It sounds like that many of you are going through a lot of uh, resistance, which is uh, good news. I would say congratulations. never forget this time I was leading a 
residential retreats like this in Santa Cruz Mountains. During one of the evenings, somebody wrote a letter and said, everything was perfect in my life until I came here. <laughs> Perhaps some of you are experiencing in the same way too, which is uh, something we should uh, celebrate rather than to, to be disappointed. So I will say this is a good congratulations. I would like to ask you to raise your hands if you're going through some challenges like resistance, doubt, fear. Please feel free to raise your hands. This is wonderful. <laughs> Personally, I went through many challenges in my life. And some of them are quite uh, Rational. Some of them are totally irrational. I had a lot of uh, external challenges in my life, just like any other human being, like loss, health issues. Uh, everybody goes through those challenges, but I had a uh, lot of uh, internal challenges. Right now, this is perhaps the, the most peaceful time in my life. I don't have too many challenges, neither externally nor internally. So maybe this is a good time for me to share a little bit uh, some of those uh, more personal challenges that uh, I went through in my life. I can't share all of them is too long to share. <laughs> and one time I had this uh, very profound challenge, almost uh, you might like call it existential crisis. This happened uh, a decade ago, maybe even longer than that. Well, it, it actually happened uh, bare longer than 10 years ago, but it kept going in my consciousness for many, many years. A challenge that I really even don't know how to explain in words. It's totally psychological, philosophical, as well as spiritual. It's not, it's not this challenge that we are familiar with, like health issues, laws, separation, it's much deeper, it's much personal. At that time I felt that I can't share my challenge with anybody, no one would understand me. The strange thing, this challenge, this existential crisis happened inside me through a very powerful tantric Buddhist practice, which is a kind of illogical 
I was doing this uh, Tantric Buddhist sadhana at very early age. Uh, sadhana that is based on this very powerful goddess known as Kortakadi or the Tumanagmo. This archetype is uh, identical with the Kalima in Hindu tradition. In Tantric Buddhism, we call her the Kortakadi or Tumanagmo, which means angry black lady. <laughs> I practiced the sadhana. I felt this tremendous sense of devotion towards her. I somehow believed that this goddess is going to save me and liberate me. Even though intellectually I knew that the Kordakali is not a supernatural entity, she's just another archetype. She's just expression of our true nature. But somehow I start feeling this devotion and love towards her. And one time I had this moment of kind of fallen asleep. It was almost a dream. It's like a dream, basically. In my dream, she appeared. I had a dialogue with her. I was very excited to see her. And when I woke up, I wrote this poem, which I still remember, not word by word. Basically, this poem talked about me being so ecstatic by meeting her and me asking her for liberation, spiritual liberation. But in this poem, she asked me, before I give you liberation, let me cut your head. And I, in, in my, in this writing, I resisted to her suggestion. I didn't want her to cut my head. I preferred my head than liberation enlightenment. <laughs> so I didn't accept the offer. So this dream, as well as a poem I wrote around the dream, really symbolize or, or, or at least synthesize the, some kind of existential crisis that I went through for a long time. Basically feeling that uh, there's nothing I can hold on to. There's no more ground in my life. There's no more ground security, neither physical nor spiritual security I can hold on to. And there was obviously some kind of pain, uh, emotional pain that comes along with that spiritual crisis. It wasn't very blissful at all. And I tried to make it go away. I prayed to Kordakadi to take that pain away from me and I remembered those old days when everything was hunky-dory in my spirituality. <laughs> I want those days back. I prayed to give me those wonderful days I had where everything was perfect 
where I had so much hope and I had ground underneath my feet. No answer came to me. No answer ever came to me since then. Later I heard uh, uh, this comment made by another Tibetan Buddhist teacher who said the bad news is you have to jump out of the aeroplane without a parachute. But the good news is there's no place to land on. <laughs> so he was, uh, in many ways, talking about the experience I was having for a very long time. So as I told you, it was very painful. I, I, I'm so happy that you're not judging me by sharing my journey of pain. Not my journey of awakening, journey of freedom, journey of love, journey of uh, enlightenment. I'm sharing journey of pain, crisis. And this shows this gathering is not a Buddhist convention. <laughs> if I tell these things at a Buddhist convention, they all leave. <laughs> they will tell you are not the avatar, you are not a Nirmakaya. We are going to go find somebody who is uh, holier than you, who is uh, enlightened, transcender, who is a loving Buddha. So my journey is a very human journey. It's not journey of Nirmanaka, it's not, not journey of Avatar, it's a journey of a very ordinary human being. And yet it was, in many ways, transformative and a very beautiful journey. So, as I said to you, at that time I was trying to make that pain go. I was uh, hoping that I can fall asleep again and have uh, all the psychological solace I was holding on to for a long time. But there's no way I found way to close and that awareness and feel secured and blissful again. So that pain didn't go away from me for a long time. So I recited mantras, I prayed many days and to make that Christ go away from my consciousness. So eventually my relationship with that whole painful journey changed and I felt this love, this affinity with that whole experience of having no ground underneath my feet. I started loving that groundlessness and I felt that that groundlessness is what I long for and that the groundlessness is the true corticale it's the true divine it's the highest truth so now I love 
I'm so happy that I went through that crisis. Even though I wasn't very happy about this crisis at that time, I was trying everything to ward off my awareness of that pain, that crisis. But now when I look back from hindsight, it was the best thing that happened to me. I would not trade those pains that I went through for anything else. And all the, those internal crises I went through actually brought me here right now. If I didn't go through those painful journey, I would not be here today. I wouldn't be speaking in front of you. I would be a totally different person. So I'm so thankful to my suffering and my tribu- uh, tribulations. So I'm trying to use my personal story to encourage all of you to go inside and welcome all your challenges. Meet with your inner darkness, your shadow. Invite your fear, your insecurity, your hatred, your self-loathing into this field of loving, non-judgmental, all-embracing awareness. And then all you need is a witness them. Witness them with uh, carrying this philosophy, this very benevolent philosophy that all your neuroses are intrinsically sacred fertilizer. They are the forces and elements and that make you grow that make you strong, that make you compassionate, and that turns you into a bodhisattva, a sacred warrior. your challenges, your resistance, welcome them in your consciousness and tell yourself this is the sacred fertilizer. Embrace each of them with your own suffering, try to 
invite you, suffering as the true Dharma, not the intellectual Dharma, but the living Dharma. Dharma that has so much potency, so much fire. Dharma that can wake you up. Dharma that force you to transform. Before I finish my teaching, I would like to share one wisdom. This is my secret. <laughs> Just be pure witness all the time. Just be this pure witness while you are here. Go inside and witness everything. Witness whatever is unfolding in front of you. Witness that you are transforming. Witness that you are awakening and then celebrate them. Witnessing your suffering, your darkness, your resistance and call them the sacred fertilizer. So it's all a women situation in the end, isn't it? Much gratitude. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.